Okay, so we are holding by Perek Yud Gimel in Shmuel Aleph. And we're talking about um, really Shaul HaMelech. That's really the, that was the um, center of our discussion last week and this week. Um, because, as we, we talked in the previous Shayurim, the Shaul was anointed to be the first king of Klal Yisrael. And he was anointed by Shmuel HaNavi after Klal Yisrael requested to have a new king. And Shaul was a great tzaddik. And he was the first one who was Melech Yisrael from the tribe from Shevet Ben Yamin. Um, but as we know, and as we're going to see tonight, that Shoals being a king and so to speak in Hashem's favor was somewhat short-lived. And tonight, I hope to go through three three parakim that really talks about really the fall of David. I mean, there's also ups and downs in that as well, um, because after all, whenever we talk about the sins of Sadikim. It's only sins because of the great tzaddikim that they are, so it was expected of them a higher level, and Shaul is no different than that. But let's, we'll go in order. Again, so the beginning of Perak Yud Gimel. Um, and the last Perak or two, we discussed the first, you know, although Shaul was anointed, we pointed out he went back home. He was anointed to be king, but then he went back home. But then there was one big war, which he was very victorious in, against uh, Nachash Haomoni and the very uh, evil... Um, powerful king who was who was um, trying to embarrass and shame the Jewish people, and Shaul went to battle with him and was victorious over him. And it's at that point that Shaul has much more of a sol- you know, solidified, so to speak, his leadership. But but still, everyone goes back home. You know, Shaul doesn't go move to Yerushalayim, doesn't build a palace. Um, he's a king, and he's still basically you know sort of living on his own. He has, uh, the Pasuk tells us that he had 3,000 men who stayed with him. 3,000 men who was his army or whatnot, whatever, that was the following that he had. And the Pasuk begins in Perak Gimel, Ben Shona Shaul B'Molcho. Now literally that means like he was one year old when he was king, which obviously he's not one year old at this time. So there's different pirushim, different uh, explanations to this. On a pshat level it means the first year of his kingdom. First year of his kingdom, again, even though he wasn't yet um, uh, operating in a palace or anything like that, but the first year of his kingdom was when he was just, you know, gathering himself and um, getting ready to lead. And then it says, Ushteishonim Malach al Yisrael. Ultimately, it's only going to be two years that he's going to um, really rule over the Jewish people. Okay. Um, Vayifchar Shol chooses 3,000 Shleishes Alafim Yisrael, 3,000 people. Vayyuim Shol, they were with Shol, 3,000 men. They split up, 2,000 were with Shol, and 1,000 was with his son. Shol's son is Yonasan, who's going to play a very pivotal role later. Yonasan is going to be famous as the close, close friend of David. Of David Amalek, Yonasan and Shol are known as the two closest friends. But now it's just Shaul and Yenison. There's 2,000 men with Shaul, 1,000 men with Yenison. Now, Israel at that time is under Plishti rule, the rule of the Philistines. And the Plishtim were very powerful. And they became more and more aggressive over the Jewish people at the time. And the way that they had different, like, I guess, garrisons or different uh, places where they would, you know, where they, they showed their, their rulership over Klal Yisrael. So the Pasuk says that Yonasan, the son of Shaul, um, came across one of these Nitziv Plishtim, that was like a, a garrison or a commander of the Plishtim, 
and they were menacing to the Yidin. And Yoinasan, it says, Vayach Yoinasan, he smote that, um, that Plishti leader, or Plishti general or minister, um, in an area called Geva. And the Plishtim heard about this, and they said, we're going to war against the Jewish people. That this was Yoinasan, the son of the one who was appointed to be the Jewish king, and he, so to speak, started up or defended the Jewish people against the Plishti a leader. So the Plishtim started gathering en masse to go to war against Klal Yisrael. And this is going to be another great war of Tanakh. It says, Shaul blows a shafer, sends out the messengers, that it's time for every for all Klal Yisrael to come follow me. And they did. And um, the Plishtim gathered, and the Pasuk talks about just uh, tremendous numbers of Plishtim that gathered. It says 30,000 riders and 6,000 chariots. They gathered a nation, a group that was like the like the um, the sand on the sea, and the Plishtim gathered in great strength to um, to fight Klal Yisrael, and the Jewish people were very very afraid because, and that's something interesting that we never discussed before. The Plishtim had a rule, and they did not let any um, any Jew um, make weapons. They were uh, very against um, anyone who they ruled over having weapons. And in fact, the Pasuk says that even when the Jews need to uh, do anything for their, um, if they had their, their uh, the different materials of uh, agriculture. I'm sorry? How would they shecht? It's a good question. That's a good question. You don't, you don't need a sword to shecht. You can shecht anything sharp, really. But it is something sharp. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I don't know the answer to that question. But I do. But, but it says... I don't know, question you ask, I know the answer. If I know, my wife is surely does. <laughs> I said, you know, every shear has a troublemaker. It's, just, you know, it's, like, it's like every shul, everything, you know. So um, the, um, so the police team did not allow any weaponry at all. And um, it says even the when they wanted to fix their, their agricultural tools, like the plows and whatever, they had to go to the plishtim to do it because they didn't have the metal, Sharpener. the sharpeners and the things to do this. So we're talking about a huge, powerful plishti armed army against a Jewish people who there's, there's many of them, but they're not armed and they have no army. So the Eden were deathly afraid. It says many, um, many went into hiding and you know they know, they know there's, there's a Jewish king, but it's a king without a palace. It's a king without an army. So, and the Plishtim here are gathered to war to avenge the act of the son of Shaul. So, if you remember, all the way back, the first time when Shmuel met Shaul, he says, "I'm going to appoint you the king, and there will come a time when you have to go to war. You should wait for me for seven days. Wait for me for seven days, and I'm going to come and offer up a carbon." For Klal Yisrael, and then, then you go to war. And this was that time. This is the war. So it says that Klal Yisrael doesn't know what to do. And everyone is, and Shaul is waiting. He says, I have a mission. I was told by Shmuel the Navi to wait for seven days. He waited seven days. To the time that Shmuel said, He was waiting in a place called Gilgal. And it was the seventh day, and Shmuel still had not yet come. And the few people that were with Shaul started leaving him. They, they were in despair. Here, you know, the, the Plishtim are gathered with this massive army. We have no plan. We have no army. We have no arms. And we're waiting. We're waiting for the Navi who didn't come. Does and Shaul realize that this is the prophecy? That, like, like after all this time has passed? Yes, yeah. Realize, this 
yeah, it's not that much time. It's a year later. It's one year later. And Shmuel said that after you will be king, you'll have to go to war. You'll wait for me seven days and I will come. So he knew he was waiting. Yeah, yeah. So he was waiting for this, but it's the seventh day. Shmuel did not come. So Shaul says, bring me the Ola animal and the Shlomim and I will bring the Karban. And it brings that to the Mizbeach. And this was Shaul's first great mistake. And it was seen as a big Avera on his part. Again, we're talking about a tremendous Sadiq, and what was expected of him was the highest level of Amuna, in the words of the Navi. And Shmuel said he was coming. And he didn't wait. And as soon as he finished bringing the Karban, Vihine Shmuel Ba, Shmuel is now coming, Vayetze Shaul Likrasse, and Shaul goes out towards him. And Shmuel says, Ma, Sisa, what, what did you do? And Shaul says, I saw the people were leaving me already, and you didn't come, and I was waiting, and the police are gathered. So I said, the police are going to come to war with me, and I didn't yet dive into Hashem, I had to bring the Karban. And Shmuel, he says, no, he says, Vayomer Shmuel, Shaul, Shmuel says to Shaul, Niskalta, you acted, you act, you made a big mistake. He says, Lo shamarta es mitzvah, Hashem elokecha, asher tzivach, you did not follow the mitzvah that Hashem told you. And because of this, he says, your malchus, your kingdom is going to go over to someone else. If you would have listened, he says, your malchus would have been forever. But your malchus, your kingdom will not stand. Hashem will find someone else who will follow his words exactly. That's what Shmuel tells Shaul. Now, there's a couple of points. One point is a question that I'm sure maybe some people are thinking of, and that is, Shmuel says, if you would have listened, then you would have been king forever. Now, that's a problem. We discussed this last week, that Shaul really couldn't have been a king forever because Malchus was promised to Shevet Yehuda. Right? We discussed this. Where did Shevet Yehuda come from? Shaul Shem Benyamin. Right? Yaakov Avinu, already way back in Chumash, in in Parshas Vayichi, tells um, Yehuda, that kingdom is going to be of a tribe of Yehuda until Mashiach comes. So Shaul was never really meant to be the king forever. And we even discussed that the word Shaul means to be borrowed. That he was borrowed from a different Shevet to begin the concept of Malchus, but ultimately he wasn't going to remain. And here Shmuel says, if you wouldn't have sinned, you would have been king Melech Laolam. So the Mepharshim, a number of Mepharshim commentaries, ask this question and give different answers. Um, I'll just quickly mention a couple. Um, one interesting answer is that Yaakov Avinu's words were said with Nivua because he knew the Shaul was ultimately going to sin. Oh. So really, Yaakov is, um, Shmuel is saying, yeah, you, you can't be Melech forever because of this type of behavior that Yaakov knew ultimately was going to happen. That's an interesting um, pirush. I don't remember now which Mephorish I saw that in, but one of them says that. Um, others say that true, the ultimate melech would be from Shevet Yehuda, but Shaul could very well have been a Mishnah melech, like a second in command. He could have been part of the malchus. So instead of just losing the malchus totally, he could have always been part of the house of the king and be like, well, we have a Mishnah melech, a second in command. That's another pirush. And others say that le'olam doesn't necessarily have to mean forever. Le'olam can mean for a long period of time. We find in Chumash earlier, for example, there's a concept of the the servant who's a servant forever, so we learn in Chumash, in, in Chumash Veikra, is, means for 50 years. Olam is called Olam Shal Yovel. So Olam doesn't necessarily have to mean forever. Be that as it may, that is what Shmuel tells Shaul, that he, at this point, he had missed a, a very great opportunity, and that was 
having full emuna in the words of the Navi, even though he saw that it didn't seem to happen the moment that he was expecting it. Yes, I'm sorry. Okay, so I don't understand why it was so bad. Because Shmuel said, I'm going to come at the end of seven days. That was a nevuah. So even though it was already the seventh day, even though he wasn't yet there, we see he came within the hour after he brought that karba. So, and what we have here is a very powerful lesson. I'll talk about that for a moment, which is, if you think about it, this concept of not waiting, when, when we're promised that something is going to be in not waiting, has been the downfall of Klal Yisrael in some of the most, the most central times. The most famous that comes to mind is the Egel Hazov. The greatest sin that we ever did as a nation was the Egel Hazov. What happens? At the end of the day, it boiled down to patience, to waiting and to waiting. No, they had, in their mind, Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to come today, and he didn't. Well, because they had made a mistake with a day. But because of that, they lost their faith very, very quickly and went to idolatry. And, now, now, and here a fascinating point, which is that the first great sin of mankind is the, the sin of Adam and Chava, which also is about patience. Because Hashem tells Adam, you can't eat from that fruit. But according to many Sfarim... It's self-control, but according to many Sfarim, it wasn't just self-control, it was patience. The Zohar says that the fruit of the Eitz Adas was a grape. And it was Friday afternoon, and Hashem says, I don't want to eat, I don't want you to take from that grape until Shabbos. And on Shabbos, you'll squeeze the grape and use wine and make Kiddush out of that. So it was a question of waiting for a couple of hours. That's what the Zohar says. It was really a question of waiting for a couple of hours. So we have the concept of when Hashem says something, and especially when Moshe Rabbeinu says he's going to come down from the mountain. And when... Um, and when Shmuel tells Shaul that he's going to come at the end of seven days. So even though it seems like I waited and it didn't happen, so it's time to look for something else, here we have the message that seems to be told to us again and again, that yes, if the Navi says that he's coming, he's coming. If he didn't come at the time that I thought he would, it's up to me to wait for it a little bit that, longer. That's, to, that's not speaking, that's to the, to the Navi, it's not to Hashem. It's, if the... Uh, I mean, like, he didn't sin against Hashem. He just didn't follow through. Well, fine, but a, a navi, a, a navi, by definition, is the navi of Hashem, the one who brings us the word of Hashem and says what Hashem is telling us. And here we have the very, very powerful message to us in our time, because we were told the Mashiach is coming and we're waiting, and the wait sometimes is difficult. Um, not just sometimes. The wait is difficult, and especially when tragedies happen, like we have, unfortunately, so many. And we ask, when already? Why is it taking so long? And I definitely don't know the answer to that question. Um, I don't think anyone knows the answer to that question. But the message that they we're learning again and again in the story of Kal Yisrael is that ultimately we have to work on strengthening our Amuna and our Nevi'im and our Tzaddikim who tell us what they tell us. And Shmuel said he's coming, so he's going to come. And Hashem says Mashiach will come. And the Tzaddikim tells us Mashiach is on the way. And the Rebbe says Mashiach is you know, almost here. And we're thinking, but almost is a long time. But that's what Shalom Melech was thinking, and that's what Klal Yisrael was thinking. And there's no question that there's a message here about the difficulty in waiting, and yet the emunah that we have to be able to find, and there is Hashem to see it very quickly. Anyhow, so let's come back here. But that was the first, um, there's going to be, as we see, two big sins of Shol. This is the first where he, where he um, expressed a lack of emunah in the words of the Navi. Okay, but still... It's fine. So Shaul was told he's not ultimately going to be the king. There's still a major battle at hand over here because, as we said, the entire Plishti army over here is, is gathered and the Jewish people are this small army. So it says Shmuel left 
And Shaul counted how many people are left with him. Remember, he started out with, he had 3,000 men. And 2,000 were with him and 1,000 were with Yonason. But at this point, many had left him already. And Shaul counts, he has left with him 600 men. Him and his son Yonason and 600 men. And the Plishti army is, says countless. There's, there's thousands and thousands or tens of thousands. It's not clear. But it's just, like the, uh, like the sand covering the, the sea. And here the Pasuk again tells us, and, and the Jews have no arms. Um, he says, on the day that they're going to battle, there wasn't a sword or a spear in the hands of the entire nation that was with Shaul and Yonasan. But miraculously, two swords were there for Shaul and for Yonasan. According to Mepharshim, say Malachim brought it to them. Somehow they had two miraculous swords. Um, and that's how the Perik finishes. In the end of chapter 13, as we have this War that has to be one of the most mismatched wars in history. Um, one huge army against an army of 600 unarmed men. And that's how Yud Gimel finishes. Perik Yud Dalet begins. Um, and here we have a great story, a miraculous, and, and th- this, story is, this story of this Perik is one of the great miracles of Tanakh. And it's that war. And the way that, that it happened was that Shal's son, Yoyna's son, goes out on a daring mission without telling anyone. Right? Yonason is the son of Shaul Melech, and he's the one really, in a sense, who feels responsible for this whole war, because remember, it was him who sort of started up with a plishti garrison or guard or someone, um, for reasons that the Torah doesn't say, that there was some, some level of uh, persecution. So now, Yonason slips away from his father's camp with one servant, with one that says, no say Caleb, the bearer of his arms, whatever that means exactly, what he was carrying. And he says, he says, let's go. And he says, let's not tell my father, and let's also not tell the one who was serving at that point as Kohen Gadol, which the Pasuk says is a man named Achia, Achia ben Achituv, who is somehow part of the uh, descendant of, of Eli's family, actually. And Yonason tells, again, his, uh, his servant, let's, let's slip away and let's see what happens. Let's see, let, let's go look. And the, the Pasuk actually is pretty um, in detail, describes there were stones and they, they climbed up a mountain and they came near where the Plishti camp was gathered. And Yonason tells his, again, arms bearer, he says, let's slip in because Hashem lonu. perhaps Hashem will perform a miracle through us. Ki ein Hashem matzer. Nothing withholds Hashem's ability from salvation. Whether we're many, whether we're few. If Hashem wants, we can be miraculous, just you and I, and start a war against this huge army. Let's see. So the Iron Spirit says, whatever you say, whatever you tell me, I'm here to be with you. So, Yenison says, okay, here's the plan. He says, it's just me and you. Let us make ourselves visible to the soldiers. And I want to make a sign now. And the sign is the following. Here's one of the signs of Tanakh. He says, we'll make ourselves visible. They're going to see us. So they're going to say either one thing or the other. Either they're going to say, stand there. We're coming right at you. Or they're going to say, come to us. Right? Either way it can go, right? So Yenison says, if they say, stand there. We're coming to you. Then we should stop. Let's not go forward. That's not a good sign. Because if they feel comfortable to come towards us, that's not good. But if they say, come up to us, then we should take that as a sign from heaven that we are going to go up and we are going to be victorious over them. 
That was the simon that Yonason made. Now, where else do we have in Tanakh someone making a, a, a sign that's something similar to that? Any thoughts? Okay, I know I, at first I muted all of you, now I'm asking you questions. It's like it's like when the dentist asks questions, like with the hands in your mouth. So, so the, I'm sorry? Okay, I'm not sure what sign are you referring to that he made. But close to close to that story is a different story. Eliezer. Eliezer, when he went out to find a shidduch for Rivka. And he also makes this big sign to Hashem. He says, well, I'm going to ask a girl about uh, giving me water. And if she offers to give me water and feed the, um, the camels, so then we will know that she is the one who is there for Yitzchak. So... That there should be another something to, for the Akira. It just happened on its own. Yeah, not, not that I know, unless there's a medrash or something I don't know about, but in the Chumash it doesn't say about a simon that he asked. To the contrary, he went with the full um, intention of bringing his son as a carbon. He wasn't asking for simon. But Eliezer, when he was going to find a girl for Yitzchak, so he makes this simon, he makes this whole sign for Hashem. In fact, the Gemara talks about these two great signs that were made by Tzadikim. Eliezer Eved Avraham and Yonasan Ben Shaul. And it says that anyone who doesn't make a sign like that doesn't really know what they're doing. In other words, in general, we're not supposed to make signs. Like, oh, I saw something, I saw a deer run across the street, that means that, whatever, whatever. Um, we don't believe in them, in those types of superstitions. But here we have Tzadikim, who, know, who knew that they were going on missions of Hashem, and they were making signs that make sense. But Eliezer was looking for a person of tremendous kindness. So he made a sign of a girl who's going to exhibit that type of tremendous kindness, and she will be the one that will be for Yitzchak. And similar, Yonason, Yonason was trying to see, was there fear in their hearts, or was there not? So if they would just rush them, if the Plishti soldiers would rush them, that means there's no fear in their hearts. They see them, they're not afraid. But if they're saying, we're not coming to you, you come to us, Yonason saw that as a symbol that there was, that Hashem had put fear in their hearts. And that's why he decided to act upon that symbol. And that's what they did. So, so this is exactly what happened. Um, they, they come up, they, they reveal themselves, they stand up, and the Plishtim say, oh, look, they're coming out, the, the Jews are coming out of their holes. And they say, you know, come here, come, come to us, we'll take care of you. So Yenison turns to his arms bearer, and he says, come after me. Hashem This is our simon, this is our sign that God has, Hashem has given these people in the hands of Klal Yisrael. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning that for, the, for Yenison to believe for a minute that they could win this battle was the ultimate miracle. Because there was, it wasn't a battle that was in any way possible to win. And yet, Yenison jumps up and he charges them. And he has one sword, which is a miraculous sword. And it's, he's charged them, it says, the Madrashans say they, they felt like a whole army was charging them. And he's back and forth, the, the, the Pasuk says that with his first swipe, he, he fell 20 men. 20 of the Plishti soldiers were killed. And he just kept charging into the, into the Plishti camp. And a tremendous uproar. You have perhaps hundreds of thousands of people, soldiers there. Just a total pandemonium breaks out. And everyone's running in all directions. Everyone's fighting in all directions. Um, there was fear, there was trepidation in the entire, in the entire camp. And in all the nation, the entire earth felt like it was opening up. Everyone was just, it was a terrible, terrible pandemonium. Now, Shaul and his 600 soldiers, minus two, 
are sitting on the side, they're sitting in their hideouts, and they're watching this, and they see something just happened. The whole Plishti army is up in arms, and they don't know why. And the first thing Shal says is, are we missing anyone? Is anyone missing? He says, quickly count. And they do a quick count, and they see that, yes, they're missing Yoinesan, Shal's son Yoinesan and his arms bearer. So Shal realizes that his son Yoinesan must be behind this. And he quickly calls to Achia, who's again serving his Kohen Gadol. He says, bring the Urim Vitumim. Because the Kohen Gadol has the breastplate that has the words of Asha, Hashem's names in it. He says, I want to ask the Urim Vitumim for a divine sign. Are we supposed to go into this war? Are we not? But the Pasuk says something interesting, that the movement was so quick, and the army, the Plishti army was so was, was in such movement that Shaul felt there wasn't even any time for the Urim Vitumim. So he told the Kohen forget it. And Shaul says, he tells all his nation, it's, ta- it's time to charge into this war. Somehow the war started without us. We have, to, the, we have to start into the war. And they were able to run into the war. And there was a, just a tremendous, miraculous victory. And now, there's only 600 Yidin with Shaul, but there's many Yidin that were hidden around, hiding. They all joined the fray. Um, and all the Yidin that were in the surrounding mountains came into the uh, fray and they came out of their hiding places. Vayoisha Hashem Bayoimahu Es Yisrael. That pasuk, just that like we have that pasuk by Kriyas Yamsu for the Mitzrayim, we have it here again in Shmuel. That on that day Hashem brought great salvation to Klal Yisrael, and this war was um, was 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 totally miraculously um, uh, won by Shaul and Yonason and the six hundred men that were with him. At this point, when Shaul sees the great miracles of Hashem, Shaul makes a gzera, a um, a decree, and he says, we have to finish this war, and I'm decreeing now a fast day, because we have to recognize that it's a total act of Hashem, it's not based on our strength in any way, I want everyone to fast, no eating and no drinking, until we finish this battle with the Plishtim. Now, his 600 soldiers heard that, but two people didn't, and that was Yoyna's son, and his son, and as we're going to see, that's going to be a big problem here. Kashol said, Cursed be any man who eats any type of food this day, because this is a day for Hashem, until we fulfill, until we finish our nekama, our um, vengeance in the plishtim. Now, they were chasing the plishtim and they came into a forest. And in the forest, there was a lot of honey. Tremendous amount of honey, honey, bees and honey. And the people all wanted the honey, but they all remembered Shaul's gzera. Shaul was the king and Shaul was the master. and they, Nobody touched it, aside from Yenison. Because Yenison wasn't there. He didn't hear it. So it says that Yenison was also in the forest and he took his uh, his stick and he dipped it into the honey and he ate from the honey and his, he, uh, he, um, he was strengthened by it because everyone was very fatigued from the war. And one of the people told him, he says, Yenison, you're eating. You know you're not allowed to eat now. Yenison says, why? And he says, your father made everyone swear or your father swore he made a klala, made a curse on anyone who might eat. Um... Listen, Yenison said, Yenison didn't know, and Yenison said, I don't understand why my father did that. Look, now I'm so much strengthened. If everybody would eat, everyone would have greater strength. So, but but that's what happened. So the the battle continued, and the uh, they were able to weaken the Plishtim uh, terribly, go through the numbers. I'm not going to go through every detail. Um, and at this point, now it came night already, and they finished the battle. And the Plastic tells us about an interesting episode. Doesn't say really explanations why he tells us that, but it says now the Eden they had fasted and now they now they now they're allowed to eat. So they took animals and they shechted them as karbonas for Hashem, and they quickly started eating. 
but they didn't do it properly because a carbon has to be uh, has, parts of it has to be offered up to Hashem and there's the uh, sprinkling of the blood according to the Torah. So it says that they were they were sinning in the way that they were eating. And Shaul heard this and he, right away he set it straight and he said, bring me a great stone and he erected a great mizbeach and he brought carbonus on the mizbeach and the, he says, eat properly and do not sin to Hashem. And that's what they did. And that night they brought carbonus and they ate and so on. Shaul built a mizbeach thanking Hashem um, and everyone ate. And at this point Shaul says, okay, the war is not finished. I mean, we stopped and the plishtim are running, but it's time to continue. It's time to run after them. It's time to finish the job. But before he does that, the Kohen, who said that Kohen was Achia, Achia the Kohen Gadol, comes to Shaul and he says, let us just check that we haven't been sinful to Hashem. If we're going to go now in pursuit after the plishtim, we need Hashem's bracha. So let us bring the uh, Urim Betumim now and check if we have been sinful. And the Kohen Gadol brought the Urim Betumim and asked, should we continue in the war? Are we meritorious? Do we have schus? And suddenly the Urim Betumim was silent. When it was silent, when the Kohen Gadol would ask a question and there was no fa- uh, form of response from the Urim Betumim, that was a sign of trouble. And Shal understood that. There's something wrong. Someone must have sinned. And one of the ways that they would find things out, just like we had recently when they were looking for the king, was through goyrales, through making, um, casting lots in front of the Urim Vitumim. And Shaul cast lots and he says, from which, if there was sinfulness in the nation, from which tribe was it? And it came out the tribe of Binyamin. And he narrowed it down, narrowed it down, until he recognized that it was either him or his son, Yonasan, that had sinned. And Shaul says, and again, we don't know, did he say correctly or not? He says, whoever sinned, he says, will be put to death. And it doesn't matter if it's my own son, Yonasan. That's what he says. And no one said anything. And the last, the, um, he kept on casting lots and narrowed it down until it was his son, Yonasan. And Shaul said, Yonasan, what did you do? And Yonasan said, I tasted from food. You, you had made a xero, you had made a decree that no one's allowed to eat. Um, and with the power of a king, that's a, that's a powerful xera. And you said, cursed is the one who does. I didn't know. It wasn't on purpose. But nevertheless, I was over. I transgressed on that xera. And Shaul said, well, if it was you, and I promised that whoever sinned will be put to death, even if it's my own son, I have to stand by my promise as the king of Klal Yisrael. And here we have all the Jewish people stand up and they say no. They say, how could this be? He's the one who caused the whole miracle of the day. He's the one, right? He's the one. And he ate by mistake. And he ate by mistake, right? And they said he ate by mistake. They said that, he ate by mistake. And they said, they said it doesn't make sense. The whole Yeshua, the great salvation of today that we're celebrating, Hashem saved us, was through him. He was the vehicle for our Hatzlacha. He was the vehicle for our nace. It can't be. And they, they immediately put together a Beisden and they said that if anything that was done wrong, it's not his fault and it was by mistake and he didn't know. And Shaul said, okay, if that's, he says, I could, Shaul said, I as his father couldn't be the one to pardon him. But if Claudius Shaul feels that way and if the Kohen Gadol feels that way and if the Beisden feels that way, um, and that's what, uh, and that's, and therefore he was pardoned for that Avera, which was an Avera B'Shoigeg, but he was pardoned for that Avera. Um, and that's how the Perik finishes. It just finishes with some a few more interesting, because that, that Muhammad was a tremendously uh, um, successful Muhammad. What, when After they had the base, then, then they, did they go back to war? The, or they fell for the Urim and Tumim that you go pursue them successfully? That's a very good question. That's a very good question. Well, the question is being asked over here. 
that initially the Urim said they shouldn't pursue the um, the uh, Pelishtim. And then they went through this whole thing and found that Yonason sin, and then they had the Basin and they exonerated him. Did they afterward continue the war? It doesn't say in the Pasuk. You know, it doesn't say that. It says, No, it seems like they didn't. They'd finished. That was it. That was the end of the war. He went back up. The Plishtim went back to their place. Um, but for that next period of time, the Plishtim didn't bother the Jewish people. I mean, the, the, the war was won. The war was won, but they didn't you know, go to the next step. Um, and at that time, um, Shoal was very, very successful in you know, bringing Klal Yisrael together and protecting them. And the, Pasuk, the Perik finishes with telling us a little bit just about Shoal's children. Um, Shoal had sons, Yonason, who's the hero of this story, and Yishvi, Malkishua, and he had two daughters, who are both going to be very important in the ensuing chapters. They are Meirav and Michal, as we're going to see, because ultimately one of them is going to marry David HaMelech, and that's where the continuation is going to come from. It says Shoal's wife's name was Achinoyam, Bas Achimoatz. So you could say, though, that Shoal would be king forever. Because oh, I guess the Michal married David, but I don't know if their children would be. Right, no, they're from Shevet Yehuda. That's Shevet Yehuda's descendants, right? Right, but it's yeah, you're right. In a way, it is. But as far as Shev, as far as Shevet goes, Shvatim is been, goes by the father. Okay. So it wouldn't be his Shevet. But you're right that it is his children ultimately. Yeah, there's truth to that for sure, for sure. Um, it talks about Shaul's general was uh, Avner Benner again, someone who's going to be important in the in the future. And it finishes that the Melchama against the Pelishtim was all the days of Shaul, but Shaul was very powerful, and Hashem benched him at this point in time. He was, again, even though we already know that he's destined not to remain as king because of that sin of not waiting for Shmuel, but at this point in time, he's still definitely holding his own and holding his kingship until the next chapter. And the next chapter is when it really... Um, is where really the downfall of Shaul is, and that's a very famous story, and that's when Shaul is given the mission to go fight Amalek. And that is the next chapter that I want to cover tonight as well, and that is Perak Tezvav, chapter 15. We know that if there's one nation that we have a mitzvah of, of hating and ultimately uprooting is the nation of Amalek. Um, we don't know the ways, you know, the reasons for Hashem and why Hashem decided to create ultimate evil, but the nation of Amalek represented always the ultimate enemy and evil of Klal Yisrael from when they left Mitzrayim. Right? We leave Egypt and everything is going good, and then Amalek attacks the Jewish people. And Amalek is actually a cousin of ours, right? as far as uh, biologically speaking. Amalek is a grandson of Esav. Right? Esav and Yaakov are twins. Yaakov has the Shvatim, and Klal Yisrael, Esav's oldest son is Eliphaz, and Eliphaz's son is Amalek. But Amalek is the ultimate Russia, and Kabbalistically is the ultimate Klippa, is the Klippa that cannot even, that well, almost cannot be in any form um, rectified. Can, can you define Klippa again? Klippa means unholiness, for, uh, powers of unholiness. The, the actual, the literal meaning of the word Klippa is a shell. And the reason it's a shell is because there's the fruit, and the fruit is the holiness, the shell blocks it, covers it. So Klippa is the Kabbalistical word for that which is not holy, uh, um, opposite of Kedusha. So Amalek is the essence of that and always has been. Now there is an interesting concept, the Gemara tells us, that when we come into Eretz Yisrael, there's three cardinal mitzvahs that we have to do once we get into the land of Eretz Yisrael. And that is to create a king, Limnos Lehem Melech, 
Lahachris Zaru Shalamalik to destroy Amalek, Vilivnos base Hamikdash and to build the base Hamikdash. Those are the three. Once there is a king, and the king wages the battles against the enemies of Kal Yisrael, and then we build the base Hamikdash. These three mitzvahs go together, and they're one after the other. Um, in fact, when Mashiach will come, again we have these three mitzvahs. Mashiach will be a king, Melacha Mashiach. Mashiach will wage the battles against the enemies of, of Hashem, the enemies of Klal Yisrael. Um, the Rambam says, Yilcho Melchemes Hashem. And then, V'yivna Mikdosh B'mkomo, to build the base of Mikdosh, which is the ultimate place of Kedusha. So now that Shaul HaMelech is a king, now that we have a Jewish king, it's time for the next mitzvah. And that's how the next Perik opens up. Perik Tezvav, V'yomer Shmuel al Shaul. Shmuel tells Shaul, Oisi Sholach Hashem, L'moshchacha, Hashem sent me to anoint you to be the king. Now listen, V'ata Shma L'kol Divrei Hashem. You know, it's a very interesting introduction. Shmuel says, you're the king, and now listen to Hashem's word. This is what Hashem says. He says, I remember, I always remember what Amalek did to the Jewish people when they left Mitzrayim. Now, it's your time to go and to destroy the entire nation of Amalek. Right? This is not the first war of Klal Yisrael with Amalek. Even in Chumash already, we had two wars with Amalek. In the Chumash, we have once in Parshas Bishalach, um, which was a war with Amalek. And the, that's right when we left Mitzrayim, immediately when we left Mitzrayim. And then at the end of the 40 years, just before we go into Eretz Yisrael, the Jewish people have another war with Amalek. Amalek attacks the Jewish people a second time. Um, and the Gemara says, Amalek is that nation that's always ready to attack the Jewish people when they can. Um, some said that the Nazis would come from Amalek. I'm not sure if that's something that's proven genealogically, but definitely fits. Um, so, Shaul, Shmuel gives Shaul this mission. He says, now you're the king, now we have to do the mitzvah of uprooting this entire nation and anything that they're connected to. Their animals, their houses, you're not allowed to take anything from them. You can't salvage anything, you can't take some jewelry. Anything that they have is 100% tumah, is unholiness, is against Hashem, and it has to be totally destroyed. No, Shaul says, sir, that's what Hashem says, that's what Hashem says, and he got together the Eden, and here he gathers a mighty army. And here, it's interesting to note, when he fought the massive Plishti army, he fought it with a few hundred people. Now when he's fighting Amalek, which is a pretty small, doesn't seem that it was a big uh, army or a big nation, he gathers all of Thalysra because of the, uh, I guess, the significance attributed to this. And it says he gathers 200,000 Yidin, 210,000 Yidin to fight Amalek. And Shaul comes to Amalek. And then it says, Shaul spends a night, it says, Vayorev Banachal. It's not clear what he means, like he's, fight, he's fighting in, in the river. But who was he fighting? What was he fighting about? And Chazal say that Shoal was having a very difficult time with the mission to destroy Amalek. And Shoal was arguing with himself. After all, there's so many people there, they didn't sin. And their animals, what do the animals do? And the children. And Shoal, who we know is a great man, um, was having difficulty with this mitzvah. And, you know, think about it, it makes sense in a way, but for Shoal, he, what he, he was really questioning Hashem's decision and Hashem's um, understanding of what's good and what's bad in this world and what has to be done. Um, and ultimately, he's criticized for this, because ultimately he didn't ultimately listen to Hashem, as we'll see soon. Shoal now approaches Amalek and he sees, living with Amalek is the Kani, the nation of Kani. Who is the nation of Kani? They are descendants of Yisro. Right? Now, Yisro, who was Moshe Rabbeinu's father-in-law, did not come from Klal Yisro. 
Some of Yisro's descendants had um, converted, but not all. They were a nation of themselves. So Shaul tells them, he says, leave from amongst the Amalekim, because if you stay with the Amalekim, you're going to be destroyed together with them. And they did. The Canaan, they left. Shaul said, "You, you're with us. You're close to us. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you come from Yisrael. He was Meshur Abinu's father-in-law." So they, they moved themselves over, and then Shaul goes to war against Amalek, and he's totally successful. They do vanquish Amalek almost totally, with two exceptions. What are, the, what are the two things that they don't destroy? The king, the king of Amalek, who's Agag, Agag Melech Amalek, and the animals. Um, he comes back with many, many of the animals of Amalek, though he was told clearly not to. He was told that everyone had to be destroyed. I'm sorry? I just said, why? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So, so he did that, and he brought them back. Shaul had mercy. He had mercy on the animals, and he didn't immediately kill the king. It's not clear what he wanted to do with him. But he brought the king back in captivity, and they did not destroy him. And now Hashem comes to Shmuel and he says, Shmuel is not with Shaul at the time. He says, Nichamti, I have, uh, Hashem says, I regret that I made Shaul the king over the Jewish people. He has turned away from me as Dvorai loy hekim. He did not fulfill the commandment that I gave him. And Shmuel was very sad and he says, Shmuel davened the entire night to daven for Shaul. Um, Shaul was Shmuel's Talmud, protege. And, and Shmuel uh, got up in the morning and he goes towards Shaul. And Shaul is told that Shmuel is coming. So Shaul goes towards Shmuel and he says, he says, Baruch Hashem, bless you to Hashem, Hakimaisi es Dvar Hashem, I fulfilled the words of Hashem. Shaul did feel that he did do what Hashem wanted from him. And Shmuel says, but what is the sound of all the sheep that I hear? What's the sound of all the cattle that I hear? Where's that coming from? So Shaul says, oh, the animals... Well, we brought them from Amalek in order to bring karbonis for Hashem. We wanted to thank Hashem, so we wanted to bring karbonis, and this was so much animals and cattle, and we thought we, thought we could bring the best, most beautiful karbonis for Hashem. And Shmuel tells Shaul, he says, I want you not to hear what Hashem told me this evening. Shaul says, speak. And then Shmuel starts giving Shaul Musa. And he says a very powerful line, which is an important Musa that we all have to hear as well. He says, do you hold yourself small? Oh, people told you, people suggested, people said you shouldn't kill the cattle. You're small? I made you the king of the Jewish people. You have to lead. A leader can never say, well, the people told me, the people asked, the people put on pressure. He says, you're the one, you're the one who has given the job, the mission. Are you small in your own eyes? You're the head of all the Shvatim of Hashem. Hashem anointed you to be the king over Klal Yisrael. And Hashem sent you in this way, and Hashem told you that you should destroy Amalek, and they should be totally annihilated. You didn't listen to the words of Hashem. You followed what others told you, and you took the, and you, you turned towards the spoils. You did bad in the eyes of Hashem. And Shaul argues. Shaul says, no, I listened to Hashem. I went in the ways that he told me. And I brought back Agag the king and will we'll kill the king. And the animals I want to bring for Karbanes. And Shmuel says, and this became a very famous pasuk. He says, does Hashem need Karbanes? Hashem needs people to obey, to follow. Hine shmoa mizevach tov. 
listening, following to Hashem's commandments is greater than the greatest karbam. Lahakshiv, to follow orders, is, is more important, is more powerful than any type of karban, anything that you might bring. And this is, this is the, uh, actually the Haftorah that we read on the Shabbos before Purim every year. Right? The Shabbos before Purim every year is called Parsha Zachor, which is to remember Amalek. So we read in the Parsha, we read the story of Amalek in the Chumash from Parsha Eskiseitse. And in the Haftorah, we read this Pasuk. Um, and, and amazingly, you know, you think he left only one person, the king of Amalek. And here the Chazal tell us that in that little time that that king was left alive, he, mag- he managed to impregnate a, a shifcha, how do you say, a, a maidservant, and ultimately he's the grandfather of Haman. So the whole Purim story, the whole Haman, the whole thing, was because Shaul made a miscalculation, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll wait a little bit before we, before we listen to what Hashem says. And, and the rabbi talked about this passage so many times, that so many times we think that you know, we're, we can be smarter than Hashem. He gives us a mitzvah, but we have a better way to do it and something that will be more beneficial. It's more beneficial for Hashem if we do whatever, whatever. Maybe it's better to, to bend on a mitzvah and do something that will be greater for Yiddishkeit or greater for Klal Yisrael. And that's what Shoal's mistake represented, using his own intellect to make his own decisions of what's better or worse and not listening to the word of Hashem. And it's at that at this point, Shaul understands. This is where Shaul starts stops arguing. Shaul says, You're, you know, I sinned. You know, whereas until this point, Shaul is sort of defending himself. No, I listened. I, I did what I thought is right. At this point, Shaul says, I sinned. I transgressed the words of Hashem and your words. I feared the nation and I did what they told me to do. And here's where Shaul is really saying, it was pressure. And that's what Shmuel said, we can't be small in our own eyes when we're given a mission. We can't say, I was pressured into something. So Shaul says, but now I sinned, at least come with me. He asked Shmuel to come with me, let's bow before Hashem. And Shmuel says, no. He says, I'm not coming with you because you, you, um, you went against the word of Hashem and Hashem took you away from being his king. And Shmuel turns away to go and famously Shaul grabs his garment from the back and as Shmuel is turning away, he rips, rips off a piece of Shmuel's garment. And Shmuel says, just as you ripped off this garment from me right now, Hashem has ripped away from you the malchus of Klal Yisrael and given it to someone who is more worthy than you to be the king. And that's, of course, David HaMelech, though, I'm sorry? That was it? Or he continued to be king? He continued to be king for this time, but he was already given that it's, 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 it's finished. Mark this was... This is the beginning of, of the end, right? So this is the second time, really. This, uh, the first time, there was still this big war afterward, and there was still the story of Amalek, but after the second downfall, so Shmuel says, it's over. Um, and Shmuel says, another beautiful pasuk, he says, Neitzach Yisrael lo Yishakir. She says, Hashem doesn't, doesn't lie. V'loi Nachman doesn't change his mind. Hashem is not a person who changes his mind. So once Hashem decided that the, the Malchus is going over to David HaMelech, Hashem is not going to change his mind. That's the Pasuk, and there's a lot of uh, Kabbalistic interpretation into this Pasuk, because sometimes Hashem is called Adam. Um, that's a certain level of godliness where Hashem is connected with the ten attributes, but Kiloi Adam, who is the level that comes from above, excuse me, the spheros, the essence of Hashem, and that doesn't change at all. And therefore, um, Shmuel says, at this point, it's not even something to daven about. Hashem has decided with finality 
that the Malchus is going to be going over to someone else. Again, nobody knows yet who it's going to be. We know, because we know the end of the story, David HaMelech, but Shaul just, Shmuel tells him it's going to be taken away from you. And Shaul says, okay, he says, Chatasi, I've sinned, but now please just honor me in front of the Jewish people and come sit with me, let's bow to Hashem together. And Shmuel says, okay, and Shmuel goes with Shaul, and they both bow to Hashem together. At this point, Shmuel says, bring me Agag, Melech, Amalek, bring me that king of Amalek, who is a notorious, vicious king, man, and Agag is brought before Shmuel, and Shmuel says, just as your sword has made so many women barren, killed so many children, so many children, so many husbands, so many people, so too will you find your end now, and Shmuel kills Agag in front of Hashem, as it says, Lefnei Hashem Bagilgal. Shmuel leaves, he goes to Ramah, back to the, the same place where Shmuel always lived, in Ramah. Shaul went back and lived in his home. Yosef, Shmuel, Liros, as Shaul, Adyomoso. Shmuel never saw Shaul again till, Shaul, till, till, um, till Shmuel's, Shmuel's passing, um, because Shmuel was total, was really he, his Abel, Shmuel, Shaul. Shmuel, Shmuel always mourned Shaul. Shmuel felt that Shaul was his Talmud, the one who he made the king. Shmuel never made peace with the fact that Shaul. Um, so it messed up or, or fell and therefore fell out of Hashem's favor um, and that Hashem um, re- regretted, so to speak, or changed his mind from making Shaul making the king. Therefore, Shmuel goes back home and that's the end, at least of the relationship between Shaul and Shmuel. They never meet again in their lifetimes. That's the end of Perik Tesvav, which will stop here. And Tazayin is really the beginning of the story of David HaMelech, as we'll begin next week. Did they, did they, did they even know that the Amalek was continued? Did they think when they killed the king that was the end? That's a good question. I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer to that question. Because they may, as far as they know, they, they destroyed the city and may... The question was asked if Claudius Yisrael knew that there was now still a continuation to Amalek. As we said, that there's now a, a maidservant who's going to give birth to the continuation of Amalek. That's going to be Haman in the story of Purim. If that's something that was known amongst the Jewish people... I sort of doubt it, but I can't tell you for sure.